Imagine building an organization that provides not just for you and your family, but for the families of hundreds more. A brand recognized as a leader in your field. Why is it that some leaders are able to inspire a team and have a profound impact on our world, while others attempt to beat their teams into submission through micromanagement and managers who, regardless of title, are not leaders, costing their business to lose great talents and resources through attrition and toxic culture, ultimately running a great brand right into the ground? There is something else at play here, and we want to know why. It's your brand. Protect it. Protect it from both the outside and inside of your organization. Welcome to Brandology Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Mosier, alongside co-host David Morrow. We explore great leaders, great brands, and the reasons why they succeed. We also take a look at stories of toxic cultures and the fall of some iconic brands. We'll play brand trivia and interview some of the leading entrepreneurs in today's business world. Thanks for joining us today. Welcome to the episode, and please don't forget to subscribe and follow. Let's begin. Welcome, everyone, to Brandology Podcast. Uh, I'm your host, David Morrow, and in the studio today is uh, my co-host, Mark Mosher. Mark, how are you doing? Doing wonderful, David. Doing wonderful today. Good. And how, why is that? Is that always a choice for you? You seem very yeah, yes. optimistic. Happiness is a choice. Attitude is a choice, not a result of circumstances. That's good because I happen to work with you and I happen to know that today's a terrible day for yes. most people, including <laughs> your manager who's me because today there's a lot of things in technology that blow up and today is what we it's call a days. dumpster fire day. So Ooh. that's what we're dealing with, and our, and our esteemed guest understands exactly what we're talking about. <laughs> so today we are very honored to have uh, Peter Finter on today, um, and uh, uh, Peter, welcome. Thank you. Pleasure to be with you guys. I appreciate it. And Dumpster Fire Day sounds like a perfect day for us to be together. Doesn't it? It seems like taking taking a half an hour, 45 minutes to talk about nonsense and branding and like the vision of the world and world, people that are changing the world, like people like you, that's, a, that's the bright spot of our day today. It, likewise, likewise. I'm excited to get into it with you. That's great. So if you could just start from the top, tell us who you are, what... Uh, what it is that you do, what that what that brand uh, is that you run, and uh, we'll go from there. Yeah, pleasure. Thank you. So, uh, first of all, appreciate the invitation to be with you guys today and uh, to be speaking to you all. Um, my name is Peter Finter. I'm the chief marketing officer for a company called Couchbase. So, Couchbase is the next big name in database technology. Um, right. We are a NoSQL database company, so that's uh, immediately some jargon to get to grips with. Uh, NoSQL stands for not only SQL, it means the next generation of database technologies. Those legacy relational databases we're all familiar with, Oracle, IBM, Microsoft, um, those are all fading as the next generation of database technology emerges to handle what we all love to do, which is spend our lives on our apps. Uh, and, uh, and those new apps are driving massive new requirements for data and more complexity than ever before. Um, and that is why new databases are needed. So. Uh, I've been with the company now, just coming up for four years. We're a 10-year-old company and uh, making great strides. So we'll get into that a little bit more, I'm sure, if we go on. Yeah, absolutely. So just break it down for us, not too technical, but just um, SQL database is almost like, 
it's almost like an electronic Excel spreadsheet on the back of websites, essentially, right? That right. Keeps... So if you think about how data is stored right. um, historically, one thing we, we cared a great deal about with data was that we knew where it was and it never changed, right? Mm -hmm. Once we had it, it was locked in. And so we had a very structured way of capturing and storing information. Just as you said, it was like tables and rows, tables and rows, tables and rows, lots of linked tables and rows. And that was great as long as you knew exactly what kind of data you were needed and how it was going to arrive and what you were going to do with it afterwards. Well, the world has changed in lots of different ways. And one of them is that we're now dealing with data in lots of different forms, structured, unstructured, semi-structured data. Everything we do generates information, generates data. And when and you're where writing- where does it go and who gets access to it and privacy exactly. rights, it gets very complicated, right? It gets very complicated and it's huge scale. We're talking about petabytes, exabytes, yugabytes of data now that need to be handled appropriately and made available to us when we need it and how we need it. And that's the job of the application developer. How do we leverage the information that we're getting to be able to provide the experience that we all want, right? We want it now, we want it in real time, we want it to be good, and we want it to be augmented with artificial intelligence and machine learning and lots of other things that are making lives better in lots of ways. But it's creating huge challenges for the people that actually have to manage that underlying data infrastructure. And reality is we can't predict anymore what we're going to need to know next or what we're going to do next. Therefore, we can't rely on these traditional structured environments that take weeks or months to modify to reflect a change in the outside world. No, we have to flip that around and it now needs to be a data first model and then what they call schema next. So you have to figure out how you organize the data after you have the data, not ahead of time. That creates a lot of challenges and we need therefore new technologies to be able to handle those challenges. And that's why a new generation of database technologies emerged, which enables this and it's enabling it at scale. That's one of the other big things here is we're dealing with a massive amount of data and historically you would pay by the bit. Every time you add more into a storage environment, guess what? Right. More infrastructure, right. more networking, right. more compute. Everything scales up and it scaled up traditionally in a linear or even worse nonlinear way. It got more expensive right. the more you have um, in a nonlinear fashion. That will not work in today's environment. So how do you break it down so that you can reduce the cost of that incremental data so that it becomes cheaper as you go out rather than more expensive? Well, of course, there's always something for something. So it's not really cheaper, but per extra bit, it gets cheaper. And so more efficient ways of using data and storing data is critical to our applications today and where we need to go next. And so we had to break away from the old, what was called a scale up model, where you just buy a bigger and bigger and bigger machine to run all that right. data on. That was very expensive to do. Now we distribute that data across lots of very low cost machines. In fact, they're now virtual machines, even containers, Right? So we're talking mm -hmm. about using the lowest cost commodity infrastructure. The advent of the cloud has made that possible. But how do you then manage all that data that's distributed across all right. of these different environments and make it work as if it's all one integrated thing? And those challenges of distributed data, getting the data to the right place at the right time, and then being respectful of data privacy laws, data sovereignty. We're all familiar with GDPR, yep. you know, CCPA yeah, here C in the US. Right, CCPA, right. I mean, you can't just put data wherever you want. You have to be able to control that and do that in a smart way while managing all of this incredible scale of complexity. So that's why new solutions are needed, new architectures are needed, new databases are needed. And there's a proliferation of those new databases that are emerging. Um, some of them are very specific to individual type of use cases. 
and some of them allow for broad scale application deployment and that's really so what couch so couch based do they focus on a specific industry or is it work, you know work or, right across multiple industries because at the end of the day the kinds of apps that we're talking about the kind of data challenges they're really similar um, okay, if you're dealing in federal government, there are specific needs that are related to federal, but the underlying infrastructure around data and data management is across the board. And that's why our custom set really spans all major industries and vertical markets today, from financial services to retail, um, through to healthcare to government. Um, no. Everywhere is dealing with right. this explosion of data because all of us want a better experience. All of us want to have um, uh, access to the kinds of TV programming that we want or the kinds of uh, um, medical solutions that we need, it right. really is proliferating. And so it's a very broad-based horizontal type of technology that it finds its way into many, many different environments. And it's become so critical to the operation of organizations as diverse as, you know, UPS on the one hand, to LinkedIn on the other hand, to Marriott Hotels, to uh, American Airlines, um, all of whom have these huge data needs. And indeed, what it will tell you, they simply can't run their business critical applications now without these new technologies such as ours. Hey everyone, Mark and I are really excited about a special feature we have coming up about the rise and the challenges of this technology transportation company that has literally changed the world. It experienced explosive growth but had constant controversy, making it one of the most fascinating companies to emerge over the past two decades. The firm, which was founded back in 2009, soon grew to become one of the highest valued private startup companies in the world. And yet its leadership, culture, and business practices have all been called into question, and the brand itself has been under seemingly constant attack. Join us as we explore the rise, the challenges of this technology transportation company. We've all used it and the leaders who are now trying to save it today. Join us as we discuss the rise and fall of Uber Technologies. Piers, the, the, the platform itself is obviously scalable uh, to fit in a really in any type of environment and the speed I, I would assume is there. Does this provide, you know, a, a financial value across, you know, on-premise, uh, cloud, hybrid? Does it, does it, how's that look? Yeah, great question, Mark, because at the, at the end of the day, when you're an application developer, you do not want to be worrying about where your data is going to be living or how the underlying infrastructure is going to get managed. One of the reasons the cloud is so attractive today is because someone else takes care of the underlying infrastructure. And that means you can focus on what you can bring most value to in your organization, which is building the applications that are going to serve your customers and deliver a better experience. So those things mean that adoption of the cloud has become prevalent, but at the same time, you want to keep control over certain aspects of what you do. For example, most people have multiple sources of data in their organization. They have these huge legacy infrastructure databases. They're not going away overnight. In fact, right. their systems of record have been around for years. They've been very robust and reliable, and you know they don't. They want to be careful about what they move when. So, as a result of that, we're still seeing a tremendous amount of on-premise infrastructure, as well as now this migration to the cloud for new applications. 
But from a user's point of view, you shouldn't care where the data lives. You just want it to be served up for you in a way that supports what you're trying to accomplish. So how do you manage these hybrid environments? And now it's a multi-cloud environment. So we're talking about AWS in some places and Azure in another and GCP in another, which means that you now have to manage your data across these different environments and then add to complexity one more thing, which is mobile, right? Who is not concerned to ensure that they get access to their data and their applications at the edge? And the edge is being redefined now. It's not just physical devices that we carry around. Actually think about IoT and all right. of the all of the systems and infrastructure that are generating volumes of data at the edge. And now we're seeing even interestingly in the retail environment, for example, each individual retail store is being considered to be a data center in its own right. Yep. right? It needs to be able to continue operations no matter what. And therefore it has to have some level of independence from the core servers that were traditionally have, have provided those solutions. As a result of that, the edge is being redefined and those cloud providers was all about centralization. Their, their primary focus was bring it all to us and we'll manage it all from our own infrastructure. Well, now they're having to think about how to spread that out. How do they make that work at the very edge? And how right. do you manage data from core to edge and back again? And how do you keep it all secure, secure, right? And how do we keep it all secure? Um, I mean, Mark and I deal with managed security. That's what all we do. And that is one of the key challenges we see, especially at the edge, right? Because Correct. it tends to be users that are the ones that are making the errors or omissions that cause a data breach. And then we have issues with Internet of Things devices because, you know, the manufacturers rush to market and have their smart refrigerator or their smart TV or whatever hooked up to the same exact network that we locked down our PCs on, but now you're able to access. Um, you're absolutely uh, right. The threat surface is basically expanding dramatically. And yeah. as a result of that, we have situations where we've got to think about how we secure data from the moment that we have access to it or the moment that it is presented to us all the way through. So data you know, at rest, data in motion, how do we ensure that we are delivering a multi-layer security environment? And uh, and these days we're talking about a zero trust model, right? So we no longer have the idea of a, some kind of safe place for it to live. It has to be secured at every point and we have to minimize the risk that exists and other places within our environments based on the ingress of that data. So consequently, security is a huge issue. And linked to that is this idea of data governance and data privacy, as I was touching on earlier on. So we have to be able to think it through all the way. And now we're talking about not securing your data centers behind your you know, double locked doors type of deal. We're talking about being out in the world and in making these type of this, this data available to millions or even billions of users. And so that is the scaling challenge, as you rightly point out. Security is a critical dimension to that. And so actually, as I think about from the marketing point of view, what do we need to establish with our customers and prospects, it's confidence. It's confidence that they will be able to accomplish what they need to using this emerging technology. Clearly, you know, when you've got 40 years of development in the relational database world and you come along with an alternative to that, then their issue is largely around how do I minimize risk? What am I going to be able to do to keep my disruption to a minimum while taking advantage of this emerging new technology? And so a lot of the conversations that we have with our clients are really about exactly that. How do you migrate successfully? How do you retain all the goodness of the past 
investment in SQL as a query language, for example, is very well developed now. Mm-hmm. And yet most of our competitors have not attempted to bring that with them into this new world. And they're requiring their users to essentially learn a completely new way of programming the database. That is an overhead that most people would rather avoid. If you've invested right. time, energy and effort in building skills, why would you not want to take those skills with you into the new world? And as you would imagine, employers are really concerned for that as well, because the cost of reskilling, retraining and the scarcity of talent with those new skills is a critical issue. So minimizing disruption is really at multiple levels um, for companies to be able to adopt and use these new technologies with confidence. When you said, oh, go ahead, Mark. Now I'm just curious because I'm, the more I look at this and I listen, I'm thinking this this is so relevant and so it, 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 a great time and such an absolute make sense type platform. Mm-hmm. Uh, where do you go in the future? What's next? Well. I think it's fair to say that we're really only just getting started here. Yeah, you know, yeah. It's clear um, adoption of this new technology is being applied first to the new emerging applications. And so as we see them becoming a bigger and bigger part of what enterprises are doing and what developers are focused on, um, this is going to create a tremendous expansion opportunity. The reality is we're probably less than 10% penetrated into the market as a whole at this time. And so our expectation is that we'll see an acceleration of adoption And frankly, as I said before, one of the beauties of this whole thing is that we can't predict the future, nor do we need to, in the sense that we will need to be able to be flexible and agile, and that has to be an integral part of the platform that we um, we provide. But actually, the ways in which people can use that platform, there is no limit to creativity. One of the, one of the great things about working with developers is that they tend to be problem solvers with a creative flair. So they tend to anticipate or create solutions for problems that haven't even fully manifested yet um, because they're thinking ahead. They're thinking about what people could do or might do or would want to do um, and generating new ideas to support that. And so we get a tremendous amount of input from our users and our developers to help us think about what would be valuable for them in terms of that core platform evolution. And, I'd, and you know, as we can think about kind of some of the key trends that are really driving us here, when we're talking about data, we're talking about augmenting the data that we have with intelligent inferred data. So the data, the metadata, as we call it, or the derived data, becomes another class of data that then informs how um, other data is used. And so this is is a sort of a self-generating environment where we can anticipate an increasing level of intelligence being applied in this environment from, from multiple levels. For example, When we talk about querying a database, that's a specialized skill and an art form in its own right that developers um, use all the time. Getting access to the right information and doing so efficiently requires a lot of skill. Well, now we're starting to see artificial intelligence being applied here where the database is starting to optimize the queries itself. So the developer might say, here's what I'm trying to accomplish. And then the database essentially says, well, here's a better way to do that. Let's implement that instead. And so we're starting to see this idea of autonomous databases coming into being. And, you know, we want, we want to be careful about using, you know, words uh, uh, too loosely here. But we really are talking about not only automation of things that are frequent processes in this environment, but actually intelligence that is derived from itself to be able to inform the next wave, if you will, of developments. And that's... So it's really the application of... It's really... Natural progression? Yeah, yeah, and it, it from seems automation to to really AI, and and then does it go from there? 
autonomy is is、ah. such an interesting concept because essentially it talks about this idea of self-driving. Okay, it's not just you know,、uh, are developers going to become passengers in the Tesla equivalent of a database going forward? <laughs>、um, well, I don't see it like that, but I do think it's a co-creation environment、mm-hmm. where developers are essentially supported by tremendously intelligent systems. That are helping to inform the decisions that they're making. Ultimately, you know, applications are really designed、um, in our context for human beings, right? It's about right. people and technology enabling people. Something that has motivated my entire career. And in this particular case, the technology is becoming more and more capable of providing、um, solutions, if you will, that are enhancing that creativity. So my sense is that we're going to see. An emerging class of applications that we cannot yet imagine,、um, and as a result、um, of that, you know, it's very hard to predict, and nor would we need 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 to predict where this can go. But what we can be clear on, I think, is that this path of data and the use of data to support the generation of yet more data is an unlimited path that we're on, and you know, we're all concerned to ensure that we can harness the power of that to be able to solve real-world problems. And at the end of the day. Those real-world problems can be everything from deciding where you are going to go on vacation when that becomes possible, <laughs> through to how to minimize the cost of delivering services in remote areas of Africa, and everything in between. And so the problem, including healthcare, including healthcare, and all the massive amounts of data there, right? Like, as yeah, as、right. things like this scale, we're able to cut down on some of that excessive waste. That runs up healthcare costs, right? Without a doubt, without a doubt. So, and I, th- I, mean, I think there's, I think that can go in two different directions, kind of. On the one hand, there's this issue that says we all want more and better information faster. So there's、yep. an explosion in that area, which is cost,、uh, which is cost generating itself. And、right. then there's insights that can be derived from that data that allow us to get faster to identify what really works and what really matters and how to really solve problems and get the benefit of learnings. Across the piece, right? Where so, historically there have been pockets, you know, of of kind of insights, if you will. We want to commoditize insight and make it available to all users and all applications to be able to leverage. And the the key point I'm making here is it's actually about the real time nature of this. You know, what we've observed over the last number of years is this concept of data lakes and data warehouses, where it's kind of like put all the data somewhere, so you have it all. And、right. then you work on it to figure out what it all means, and that has resulted in this idea of sort of batch processing analytics,、mm-hmm. where it's a kind of a, okay, I'll send you all the data, and then in the next 24 hours, I'm going to come back with an answer, and I'll feed that then into my systems. Well, you and I have all experienced, you know, we've experienced this. Well, it's very manual, right? Like where the where the data, how the data is labeled, how it is how it is、uh, obtained when there's a query. It's very manual. There's, there's elements of, of yeah. yeah. Remember what I said earlier about structure being the enemy in the sense. And so this new way, yeah, this new way can slice data across lines and and grab things, and then as the as the creatives come up with ideas, right? It can it can resolve those processes that need to be done quicker, and then、Correct. they can continue to be even more creative. That's、exactly, so. and 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 it's this idea of being able to improve that feedback loop, speed things up, and get the learnings. This idea of iterative learning, right? It's all right. about leveraging the intelligence that you have at this moment in order to experiment, in order to provide a solution, learn from that, 
experience and then feed that back in. So That's the self-learning yeah. autonomous environment is kind of what everyone is aspiring to and being able to do something that is responsive in a timely fashion, meaning that even as we are engaging, right, you have essentially 30 milliseconds to respond to a human act before we as humans think that nothing has happened, right? We have a very limited amount of time to do it. And we're all familiar with this when we're on our, our phones or we're on our, our, our computers and we're trying oh, to get some Yeah, and our, our attention span delay, is gone. Our attention span has gone down. And we're off, right? I we, mean, we, Mark right. chases squirrels <laughs> all the time. I have to get him back on Don't task we all? Constantly. Don't we all? <laughs> yeah, we all do. So tell, tell me a little bit about, like, where, where, where are you from originally? Obviously, you have that southern louisiana accent <laughs> so right. you must be a southerner i don't I, i'm just curious yeah yeah where i come from i am a southerner yeah I bet, yeah I, there you go yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh yeah my uh, i was born in manchester in the uk okay know the uh, the soccer team manchester united uh, we uh, certainly uh, do uh so uh, so born in born in the northwest of england grew up in the southeast which is why i'm a southerner from england um, got it now, down near like the Isle of Wight, or like not, not quite that far south, just outside okay. of London. Um, okay. the, Garden, the Garden of England is Kent, the county of Kent, and okay. here we are talking today. Um, I'm sitting here in Silicon Valley, um, the Valley of Heart's Delight, as you may know. Silicon Valley used to be called before it was renamed. Uh, why? Because it is the Garden of the United States. Um, yeah. So one garden to another, fantastic. But a uh, little bit of a journey in between. About 25 years working in Europe, I moved to Canada um, oh, okay. and uh, spent uh, a number of years in Toronto, which is one of my favorite cities in the world. Your mic, I think your microphone, Peter, I think your microphone is giving us some static. Is this, uh, is that better? Sorry. Oh, that's that. better. Okay. That's better. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds like you have a bad connection. Yeah. Oh. There we go. It happens. Connectivity is always an issue, right? That is <laughs> a good thing we still off. have the data. Good there we go. But so okay, last we heard, last we heard, one garden to the next, and then you moved. Then you were yeah, uh, living so, in so Canada for a while. That's right. So moved to Toronto, Canada. Spent okay. uh, a few years there in a wonderful city. Um, uh, if you can forgive the weather. Absolutely beautiful. Yeah, um, no, it's beautiful. And I moved city. to Silicon Valley about ten years ago. Um, so this is uh, this is for me my third gig here in the valley, um, wow. having a large company to small to smaller or earlier stage. Um, right. And uh, more fun each time the transition has happened, uh, in my experience. Um, so, uh, uh, so that's the journey. Would you categorize Couchbase still as a startup, or is it a or is it a mid-tier at this point? Um, I think we're getting to a point of scale where people would say yeah. that's the best late-stage startup. Um, right. Yeah. But we're we're approaching the magic hundred million ARR mark, which is. Um, imminently approaching, and you know that's generally a market to say yes. This is a company that's arrived. That's a, that's a solid player. Um, that's going oh, to yeah. play moving forwards. And you know that also ties to customers and customer base. And we have such a fantastic roster of customers for whom you know many of them would describe what we do for them as a tier zero uh, application, really? which means that they can't run their business. Absolutely without- necessary. Right. So when COVID hit, it. when COVID hit, you got everybody at Couchbase got the letter. I'm an essential employee. I get to drive. Like, <laughs> don't pull me over. LinkedIn yeah. needs me. LinkedIn needs me. People need to put their posts on. 
right? Well, I mean, every business, you know, depends on something, right? That's and so if you're an airline, getting planes into the air. If you're a hotel, booking yeah. room. If you're a logistic right. company, delivering parcels. And in every case I just described, those are our customers using us to enable those parts of their business. That's why they describe what we do as business critical for them. It's not just important for them, it's essential for them. And interruption of service is a critical issue. So, so what's, the, what's the why? If, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a, you know, religious follower of Simon, Simon. Sinek uh-huh. and uh-huh. Brene Brown and the whole group, right? Seth Godin, all of them. So what is the, what is the, the true purpose or cause of Couchman? You know, as I think about what we do, it's really about making life better for the people that we serve. And ultimately, right. that means all of us, actually. We all are impacted. If you picked up your phone today, I guarantee you at least five of the apps on your phone would be running on Couchbase and you wouldn't even know it. So on a broad scale, that's it's about so life cool better. to know. Like, that's so cool right that's there. A good, that's a, that's a nice I love day. that. Like, that's a great uh, way. I love uh, that. That's, yeah. so, that's, so that is first thing. But actually to make that happen, there are people that really are the ones that we serve most closely. And those are our application developers and our architects. And the, frank, yeah. the reality is they have an incredibly important job to do. It's really challenging for them to do it. And any way that we can make their lives better. They're cool dudes. They're cool dudes. We have, we have, I mean, I, I worked yes. for, a, for a place that had a bunch of application developers and creative designers and if you've never worked in that environment, it is like, yeah, there's a lot of ping pong tables and goatees and, you know, free food and bean bags and stuff like that. But like the creativity and the production that they produce, it's amazing how creative they get. Like I would just go in and they would have these informal huddles and they're like, if we take this and like put it onto that, they're making things. We were doing things for colleges that were like, just just it's just amazing some of the some some of the creativity it's like getting a bunch of artists together with a bunch of technology you know motive people and you environment. put them together and it's just an explosion of creativity you're like this is how video games are made it's like it's you two, it's you guys is is how it all works it's, it's that so perfect cool. blend of art and science and you know as it a market, really is it truly is there's a real parallel in it. You know, we yep. are, in some sense, marketers are the application developers, you know, of our function in the, in, the, in the sense that you have to understand what, you know, what is and what the enablers are, right? How can you yep. leverage that underlying technology? But fundamentally, it's about having great ideas and then putting those ideas into practice and making them a reality. And that's a highly experimental process. It means that you fail more than you succeed. Um, But you also have to be willing to confront boundaries, right? The status quo, the way it's always done, is the worst guidance and direction, generally speaking, for an application developer. You're always breaking new grounds. You're always trying to establish something that's different and uh, and unique. Um, And, you know, one of the things I love about working with developers is that they really pay attention to one another, right? They, They are always looking for the people that have the edge, the ones that are getting out in front, the ones that are doing something exciting and interesting. And so you have this very strong sense of community. These individuals relate to each other very, very strongly, and they take uh, reads from each other. And consequently, you have this idea of a force, right, that's working. It's not just about uh, any one individual. It's how everyone is feeding off everyone else. So it's as you rightly point out, David, it's like a sort of creative community in its own right. 
but it's all driven by technology. And, and so bridging that gap is the fascinating part about it um, because it takes quite some skill set to be able to cover the basis these days. And so making life easier for developers, helping them focus on the things that they can really add value to rather than have to worry about the underpinnings of that is, is a tremendous opportunity to unleash that creative talent as you rightly pointed out, Dave. That's excellent. So I think at this point, is a perfect time since we're talking about brands to do some brand culture trivia. So let me play the introduction of it for you and then we will start with our first question. Ladies and gentlemen. Welcome everyone to Brand Culture Trivia, where the points don't matter, but the brand does. In this segment, we play a trivia game against our guests. I'm your host, Mark Mosier, along with my co-host, David Morrow. David, tell us about the rules and the awesome prizes. Absolutely, the rules are as follows. You get to guess as fast as you can. You get as many answers as you want, and the first one to give the right answer wins a point. The first contestant to three points wins the game. What do you get if you win? Glad you asked. You get 14,684 Brandology bucks. What is that worth? Those are absolutely worthless, but we might send you a sticker for playing. So let's get started with brand culture trivia. David, why don't you spin the wheel of trivia and see what our first question is? All right, here I go. It is a heavy, heavy wheel. Welcome to question the first question in brand culture trivia. Christina, is it Christina Nittle? Yes, it is. Okay, Perfect. welcome. Welcome. And uh, you're going to join uh, Peter and Mark in this game that has a lot at stake. Did we mention there's 14,684 Brandology bucks on the line? And so here, just I'm, our accountants are already getting nervous <laughs> over there because we, we tend to lose quite a bit. So I'm going to um, pull up one of the key ones. Okay, I'm gonna name a slogan. Tell me what brand or product name. This is question number one. Name mm -hmm. a slogan, what brand or product name is it? The best a man can get. Gillette. Gillette. Wow. Oh, <laughs> I like the fact you jumped right in there, Christina. That's man, uh, it, that really was not even, stuff. it was, that was, do, do we have to wait till you're done? No, I barely <laughs> even got it off. Okay. We're, okay. That's good. Okay. The only thing I'm going to say is we might have to play to five <laughs> uh, because this is, these are like Silicon did, did, Valley people. Did I mention are. that Peter's my boss? Yes. And this is Silicon <laughs> Valley people. So, that's like right. you three. can impress me anytime you like, Christina. Yeah. So okay, let's see what we can do here. Let me. I gotta get it. Make it a little bit different. A little bit more difficult. Um. Maybe she's born with it. Maybe it's. Deepling. Oh my God. Okay. Who's the, the makeup purchaser? <laughs> right. Yeah. You, that probably wasn't I, fair. I wanted, I, at one point in my life, I wanted to be in advertising and write okay. oh, commercials. Right. Well, so maybe, is, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll be quiet the next up. one. We gotta, I'll, I'll, make, I'll be quiet next one. You brought a ringer, Peter. You brought a ringer. 
It is 2-0. Hang on, I'm moving this over here. I'm going to look at something harder. This is ridiculous. They give me things like, you know, Apple and like, you know, all the major. Okay, give me a, okay, here's, here's a good one. Shave time, shave money. Ooh, that is a good one. That is a good one. Shave time, shave money. Money. I don't know that one. Yeah, no, oh, that. Oh. Yeah, you got me on that one. Oh, come on, this is your this is your deal. Well, 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 Gillette. Listen to Mark. Oh, I was. It was a Gillette again. No, no it, it wasn't was Gillette. <laughs> oh, I was going to say. Goes with. I like the brand so much. I brought them up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Twice. Right. So. If nobody knows, I, I will hold that over here by the window in the world headquarters of Brandology Studios here that you guys can see. Um, uh, that is, it, it's one of the funniest ads I've ever seen, but it's for Dollar Shave Club. Dollar Shave Club. If you guys have ever seen the Dollar Shave Club, the initial ad where the CEO gets and he's Oh my gosh, it's one of the best things. Please, yeah, I, please look it up on yeah, YouTube. Yeah. It is worth the three minutes, I promise you. Dollar Shave Club. Done. It's Dollar Shave Club. It is it is absolutely hilarious. He 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 just makes fun of himself, makes fun of the company, and he just it's awesome. It's just fantastic. So okay, that one is on reserve for later. Okay. <laughs> and the score is two to zero. We're playing to I think we're going to play to five, but we'll see. If this one takes a while, you know, we might just call it. We'll see. Uh, think outside the bun. Outside the bun? Uh, that's McDonald's. Uh, that's, uh, no, no, no. Uh, Taco Bell. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Uh, yes. Yeah, Christina, you don't get credit for going, yeah. <laughs> no, I was going to say, you don't get what a point said. for going, yeah, what my boss just said. Yep, that's, that's <laughs> right. Mark does that all day long. I, I, uh, yeah, you're right. Okay, you're right, Peter. <laughs> okay, there you go. There you Again, go. you're right. Again. Okay. <laughs> so it is two to one to zero. All right. Let's point out some basic math since we're talking uh -huh. about big data. Mark, if you had 100,000 times as many points as you have right now, they'd still be beating you. Be close? Oh. No, they'd <laughs> still be beating you. So, okay. Um, uh, uh, okay. Bet you can't eat just one. Cheetos. Nope. Lays. Doritos. She, she did it. She did Lays. it. She paused. Uh. Just long enough for me to give her the win. Peter, I'm sorry. I'm Great sorry. Job. And Christina, I hope that you've enjoyed working with Peter because <laughs> um, on, you know. I have talent that's more talented than you are. That's my motto. That's motive. right, right. I'm telling you. That's exactly right. So you, Christina, congratulations. You are the proud winner of 14684 well Brandology nice. Bucks. They Thank can you. buy things like... On you our e-commerce website, yeah, on our, yeah, we've got tumblers, <laughs> we've got uh, coffee things. You know, there's things you can buy with them. We have a convertible Rolls Royce on there. There's <laughs> Jaguar. There's a bunch of you know, in, because Peter was on, we put a Jaguar on the e-commerce site now, so it's all Beautiful. there. Beautiful. It's all there. Congratulations, Christina. Look at you. Yes. <laughs> So, are, where's the first place you're gonna go? 
I, I, that's a good question. I've been <laughs> bunkered into my house for so long, I don't even know. That's exactly right, isn't it? It's hard, it's hard to even artificially answer that one. <laughs> I yeah, know. That is so true. So um, let, let me ask you this. Uh, Christina, what's your role at, at, at Couchbase? I'm, I'm on Peter's team. I support our commun- corporate communications, analyst relations, PR, social. Okay. Okay. So let me ask you this. Peter, did um, what person or event kind of has inspired you to um, kind of take on the roles that you do, like to develop marketing and things like that? And then I want to ask the same thing of Christina. Yeah. You know, um, like, you know, the, the, we, we usually find either a, a quote somebody read, a book somebody read, somebody that they met, somebody in their life, an event Sometimes it's a good event, a bad event, whatever, that's really changed the course of their life. Pivotal. Yeah, I would say uh, there was one specific person that I worked for who inspired me as a marketer beyond anyone else. Um, And that was a lady called Lauren Flaherty, who was the head of advertising at IBM during Lou Gerstner's reign, if you remember that far back. he, He wrote a brilliant book, by the way, called Teaching Elephants to Dance. Um, uh, the Lucas and story at IBM. I think that's a certain, you know, that's that's one of those marketing stories you just got to know. You got to know what, uh, what where were things were at and what happened. And I got to meet uh, Lauren um, uh, because she joined a company that I was already working for, and I found myself working for her. And uh, and I would say that uh, that she lifted my eyes to see the potential that marketers uh, can bring and how you can change trajectories and change the course of events for other people. Um, if you can create for them a vision that they can believe in and a path for them to get there and they can see themselves in that future environment, um, then then you're going to have great success as a leader in general. But marketers are a special kind of leader um, because their job is to think ahead is to be the headlights, as, as it were, for the business um, and be able to create future vision that others can buy into and believe in and and adopt as their own. And the ability to reframe and rethink the way that the world is perceived and viewed by others is something that marketers um, have a special responsibility to do. And I think that makes them a special class of leader. And uh, working with talented leaders like Lauren um, has been the thing that has kept me going and inspired me. And I'm you know, thrilled to say that today, um, as a result of my own position as a CMO now, I get to meet with and talk to and be inspired by many, many others um, who are carrying those responsibilities for their own organizations. And that, uh, and that peer group is, uh, is a very um, precious uh, asset for anyone um, in any role. But well, think of, think of how they are. Think of how, I mean, pe- people discount sales and marketing so often, right? Because of the, the stereotypes or whatever, but think of how it, it's changed the world. Think of how Apple changed the world, right? I mean, th- think of how, how so many, you know, look, look at what Nike's done, right? And Nike back in the day, I mean, it's a commodity, it's a shoe for God's sake. Right. And it's and yet their marketing had the way that they did it. Right. By honoring great athletes and great athletics. They didn't talk about the 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 features and benefits of the air soles versus Reeboks and things like that. They didn't focus on the product. They focused on 
why people even do it in the first place. And that's- I think going back to your point about Simon Sinek earlier on, ultimately, the reality of the product is more is more than the combination of its features. It's Absolutely. not about product capabilities. It's, it's about it's, what it's product the represents. product's place in our life. Exactly. It's really about the representation of that product. What does it enable? What does that make possible um, where others don't? And, you know, marketers have a job to connect the dots for people, is to help them understand the link between the things that they aspire to that they can't necessarily articulate particularly well, but to show how what you're doing is going to enable them to accomplish something or be something that they that aspire to. That matters to them, right. And that's the and that's the big delta and the lift that everyone needs to be focused on in the marketing world. And the best brand marketers in the world are the people who can do that. And to think beyond, uh, thinking outside the bun, we talked about a minute ago, but actually it is about thinking outside the bun in general, right? But no matter what we're doing, it's how do you lift people up? How do you help them see something they wouldn't otherwise have seen and make it really easy for them to take that on board and make that a part of their lives? And so we're always dealing with promises as marketers. If, uh, if a brand is a promise of value, we're making promises all the time. And so the success of our brand can, is contingent on whether that promise was fulfilled. You said that when I bought this Nike Air shoe, you know, I was going to be a better athlete. I was going to be a more successful person. I was going to be have more prestige amongst my peer group. Did that actually happen is, is the test that will cause the repeat purchase or lack thereof. And so as a marketer, we have to always be grounded enough that we can demonstrate that what we are promising can be fulfilled and is being fulfilled. And how do we sustain that and grow that over time? So we do have this two, two world reality, what it is that we actually have to be able to offer. And then how can we make that a value to the people that we want to adopt that, um, that product? And so those are the, those are the two worlds that we live in um, all the time. And it's an incredibly exciting place and it's a very challenging and creative place. Um, that's the place where, you know, under pressure, you know, diamonds are formed, as it were. And that's kind of our job. That's exactly right. I'm curious as we, I could literally, and we haven't even gotten into, uh, Peter, your past. You've worked with some of the most iconic uh, brands that I truly appreciate in Juniper and uh, Nortel. There's so many things we would ha- We may have to make this a two-part uh, <laughs> I'll come back. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't know if this will be the last time we speak because I've absolutely. had so many things I want to hear about. Um, but as we kind of wrap it up and we come to an end, I appreciate you sharing this. This is some really great information. Uh, it's really kind of lit in a, uh, a, a light bulb uh, and got me thinking in, in new directions, in new ways, in, in the way that, uh, that we perceive, use, and grow information and data. Um, so at the end, I always like to ask the um, the guest a specific question because we have a great diversity of answers and the listeners uh, really kind of get a kick out of it but since we've got uh, Christina on I wanted to ask her yeah you weren't going to get away <laughs> I'll ask <laughs> I wasn't the one to be an interview <laughs> no, no. So it, it's you want out <laughs> um, if you look back over your career and everything you've done if you look back to when you were a child what did you want to be when you were when you were a little girl? I wanted to write commercials. <laughs> I was I awesome. I am not I'm not even kidding you. I I was a so commercial cool. bug. I was a self-professed commercial bug. And so back cool. in the day when you didn't have Netflix or TV and everything, um, I would sit and watch the commercials, um, and I would pick which one I liked the best. I remember 
Clara Peller, Where's the Beef, when Wendy's won the Clio Award. I was probably eight years old, but I knew what a Clio Award was back then. That was what I wanted to do. I wanted to write commercials. So, um, so yeah, that was that was it for me. And that's what I studied in college. And now I'm in PR and I get to write other things. And um, it's been great. Yeah. <laughs> so now I want to ask Peter that same question. Um, what did you, when, when, when you were a young lad, what did you want to be when you oh. kind of grew up? My world was uh, it was all about cars when I was growing up. The earliest picture that I have of me as a very very young boy was is is looking at a Jaguar, strongly enough, car um, that someone had given me a model car of, and uh, and I was clearly fixated on that. Um, and so I always aspired to be um, something to do with cars, and whether that was uh, driving them, racing them, designing them, being part of that, and. Uh, that pathway didn't quite work out, but in a some kind of a funny way that it did, because one of the joys of my life was uh, was being a part owner of a collection of classic cars. At one point, about 40 cars in our collection, and having the opportunity to really enjoy the diversity um, of that automotive product um, across the board has just been uh, has been a tremendous amount of fun. Um, but you know what? When you start out in life, um, life takes you in places you didn't anticipate going. And uh, and the unfolding of that journey is uh, is the is the story of each of our lives, um, and so we've ended up in places that we didn't probably plan to be or think we would be, um, but yet we are here because we've we've chosen to be here. Ultimately, we've been given opportunity, and we've we've made choices that have arrived uh, allowed us to get to where we are today. And I don't regret now not being in the car industry. Um, I've had a tremendous amount of fun in my career, a tremendous people that I've got to work with and uh, and the intersection of technology and people um, continues to be a stimulus every single day. Um, so it's, uh, it's a wonderful thing to think where we start and how we get to where we are now and where we've yet to be. Who's right. who's today? Those, those childhood dreams can still become reality for us if we do them. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much for your time, Peter. Christina, thank you for joining us as well. Mark and I both appreciate your time. Uh, we promise you, we you are both welcome to join us again. Definitely and, uh, we're yeah. definitely not, this is definitely not the last time that we will be speaking. Fantastic. So, well, thank you so much for having us today. Thank you so much. And we will follow up thank with you. you guys. Thanks. Have a All great right. day. See you soon. Take care. We'll thank you. Thank have you. Have a great rest of your day. Bye-bye. Mark and I want to take a moment and thank everyone that listens and subscribes to our podcast. It means a lot. We're truly trying to make this one that we ourselves would find interesting and find entertaining. Um, If you have any questions, comments, concerns, or ideas for subjects, great brands that have risen and fallen, great case studies, or fantastic guests that you'd like to see, please reach out to us. Brandology Podcast Staff at gmail.com that's brandology podcast staff at gmail.com hey david that was another great episode we tend to post one or two a week uh, unfortunately don't really have a way of wrapping this up no uh no we really don't have anything formal or fancy or technological um thank you for listening please follow and subscribe turn notifications on so that when we post the next episode you will be notified of the new content Thanks, everyone, for listening. We really appreciate it. Everyone, thanks for listening.